Well, good morning. It is uh, truly an exciting day for many reasons. Uh, I've, I've got some of my new friends are here with us today. Pastor Sebastian, his wife Linda are here from Iglesia Bautista Ebenezer. And I don't think I told you this, but you're the newest church in the Nashville Baptist Association as of Thursday. They, uh, they voted you in, so I've gotten to know him. They're planning a church here, and we're really glad to have you guys here. Wave to everybody so everybody can see you. Welcome them, folks. And uh, This week, I believe, uh, we as Nashville Baptists welcomed into our fold uh, four more churches into the Nashville Baptist Association. And uh, Pastor Sebastian is uh, one that I've gotten to know. We've been able to spend some time together just over the last couple of months. Has been a really big blessing to me. Uh, man, graduation Sunday. How about it? Good to see you guys. And I'm going to remember all you folks who normally sit in the balcony who came down here to take pictures of your kids. The front row's good. It's nice. It's good to be down here close to the action, you know? Good to see you guys. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, somebody wrote an article this week saying that you guys have the opportunity right now to really be what's called the next greatest generation. Uh, many of you uh, may have had relatives or, uh, you know, you lived through it yourself, lived through as a child maybe World War II and out of World War II, we had the greatest generation that arose and built a country. And I think that there may be something to that because you guys have learned a pretty important life lesson. You have all the plans you want. They don't matter. Because life throws you a curveball and it's how you adjust to it. And you guys have done a phenomenal job at adjusting to a very difficult situation. You're to be commended uh, on that. You really have. Yeah. Let's give them a hand. Uh, you know, I didn't volunteer to pastor this church like this. Nobody asked me. The church that I had, had people in it when I came. And we had programs and stuff. And if you just said like, hey, you want to pastor church when nobody comes? No. You know, like, I mean, like nobody signs up for that. But you just do it. And that's really important that you understand that because the plans that you have now aren't going to be the plans that kind of finish you out. But here's the constant in that. God says, I know the plans I have for you. So make sure you keep walking in that. Good to see you guys, and we keep praying for you. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Kirk did a phenomenal job unpacking a rich word and kind of letting us see the nuances of the word workmanship from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. You go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Uh, as he did that, there were a couple of things that I want to remind you of that are very important from what he said last week. He said that God was working a process in your life, right? That, that's important for you to understand that God's not finished with the process, that he's working the process. And he talked about the sculptor taking the hammer and chisel to really remove everything that shouldn't be there so that what you have and what's left there is everything that God wants to be there. That's very important that we understand that and that we really have a great kind of understanding of the process that God's working in our life. We call that process sanctification. Big word just means becoming more holy, more like Christ. That's very important because once you were saved, you were set on a pathway. You're set on a road towards sanctification, towards becoming like Christ. He also said something that was really important out of that process was God was designing you to be a useful piece of art. Now that's important that you understand that because God didn't make you to be a piece of art just to be admired, although that is very important because the Bible tells us that the lost world should look at that and desire that, to see the beauty in, in what God has done in our lives and through Christ in our lives, desire to be in relationship 
with Christ. So he says that, 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 that you being a useful piece of art means that you're doing those works that God created before time for you to do and to walk in. And, and that's really important. Now, I wanna kind of remind you and take you back to something that we briefly mentioned for a couple of Sundays last summer as it seemed like our nation was kind of falling apart and, and we were watching these things unfold. We were watching the dividing wall of hostility between people. Uh, kind of be erected again. And we, we saw that in people talking about how do we get rid of that? How do we deal with that? And, and the apostle is going to talk about how that was in our lives as well. The difference is he's going to be pointing out the difference was for you and I, it was between Jew and Gentile. And if you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile, just in case you were a little confused about that. It, you, it's, it's exclusive there. And he's doing something. He's writing to a Gentile church and he's reminding us of something that's very important and I think it kind of brings to the point today what we still continue to struggle with in our country. We see walls constantly erected and they, they divide us. And we think oftentimes about, and we're being told this in our own country, we're being told that there's systemic issues that must be dealt with in institutions. But I, I want you to break it down even further than that because if you don't start with the individual, you never get to the institution. Here's the issue. If we don't see heart change we'll never be able to destroy dividing walls of any kind. It doesn't work. It's heart change. It's not education. It's not economic reform. Those things can be part of it. That has to come from a heart that's chasing after Christ. And as he talks about this today, he's going to talk about what it must have been like for us. And see, we forget this because what he's talking about, we don't really see it because this issue was settled in the early church, you know, 1900 years ago. So we've lived and grown up in a world where we don't understand the, the, the distance, how far away we were from Christ and from God. And he's going to say to us today, it's important that we remember that. So I want us to read this. Ephesians 2, verse 11. And we're going to see how far away we really were from Christ and how awesome it is that God brought us together in Christ. Verse 11, Ephesians 2. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, uh, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's telling this church they need to remember where they were, and then he gives them five disadvantages that they held as Gentiles that have been taken away by the blood of Christ in their lives. And he says, now what we're going to see is next week that dividing wall of hostility has fallen between us and God and us and the Jews. And he says, you are one in Christ. And this becomes very important. So I want you to think about what he says. He says, remember. Now, it's a funny thing for us to talk about remembering because if you look at quotes about your past, if you just Google that, for instance, you'll find all kinds of T-shirts and little like inspirational quotes you can frame. And they all kind of get to the heart of this. Forget your past because it doesn't predict where your future's going. So it seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it, that we hear that all the time, but the apostle says, stop and remember your past. 
remember your past. I don't know, maybe you're kind of one of these people who's a little bit sappy. You like these kind of things. You like to think back all the time. I, I kind of do, uh, but there's nothing like being around my dad, for instance, and his best friend from high school. They go to all the high school reunions. I can queue up every story for them. I've heard them a hundred times. And every time they tell them, we laugh. And I mean, it's all those kinds of things. They remember those things very fondly and they look back on it. A lot of times though, the reason we don't want to remember is that we don't like what we were in the past. That's fair, isn't it? And it would be true to say this morning that if you just kind of think about your past, it really could hold you back. But he's talking about something very different and I'll get to that in just a little bit. When he says remember, he says you need to think about where you were before you met Christ, because that's gonna be very important for us as we go forward. And that's why he outlines these five disadvantages. So when he says, remember, he says, you were part of the uncircumcised. Now for all the kids in the room, I just gave you a little homework. You can talk to your parents about that after church today. We're not going to define that in here as we normally do, but this is an important word in the scripture and it's important all the time because if you were a Jew, you were part of the group that was called circumcised, meaning that you had been brought into the covenant with God the Father. And if you were a Gentile, you were called the uncircumcised. Now, this was used as a term of derision. The Jews constantly said, you just uncircumcised people. And the Gentile says, you guys are just circumcised. You're just part of the circumcision. So it's kind of back and forth. And it was actually a, kind of a place of hostility between Jews and outsiders. And the reason that they saw it this way is that when they looked back at what the covenant meant to them and they saw circumcision in that light, what they saw was God allowed us to do something that was a sign for us that we were set apart. Another word for that, Holy. We were part of God's plan. Do you remember that we talked about that just a few weeks back? We talked about Abraham and how Abraham was walking in lostness. He was just a guy doing his own thing when God spoke to him and said, follow me to a land I have not shown you yet, but I will show you and you'll walk with me. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. His faith led him to follow God and that was credited unto him as righteousness. What happened then is that God created a covenant with Abraham and part of that covenant was the sign of circumcision. So it happened in the flesh, but even as early as Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, God was saying through Moses, he was saying, you need to remind these people to circumcise their hearts. So it wasn't just the flesh. He was saying there's something that has to happen on the inside. In other words, what he meant by that was circumcision was not just to be kind of like this thing that, that, that you, you, you were able to look back and say like, I'm different because of something that has happened. Like we might say like, I'm different because I wear you know, the school colors that I, I, of this jacket. I put on my school colors and that identifies me with that. He's saying, no, it's more than just an outward thing. It's from the inside out. Can I say that's a great word for us this morning. A lot of us are confused because we think it's this and it's not this. It's not this, folks. It's this. It's your heart being changed, not just the words that come out of your mouth. It's, it's more than that. So when he says, circumcise your hearts, he's saying, repent again. The prophet Jeremiah said the same thing, didn't he? He said, it, it's not just about the outward thing that you have done in relationship to the covenant of God. It's really that your heart is fully 
gods. Now, so when we think about that and we understand that, then it makes it easy for us to understand how if you just viewed it from the outside, you would kind of view that as a point of pride. Do you remember the story maybe where Jesus was talking about observing a Pharisee and a publican or a tax collector? And they were both standing there praying before the Lord. Do you remember what the Pharisee said? He looked up to heaven and said, thank you, God. I'm not like that guy. That's a great way to start your prayer. But what he was doing was something that was quite normal because it was not unusual for these walls of hostility to be brought up over and over again. It was not unusual for a Jewish male to start his prayer with two things, according to F.F. Bruce. When he, when he researched this and you kind of come out with this, every prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And if it was a man praying, I thank you that I'm not a woman. How's that for you this morning? It gets you excited, doesn't it? Do you understand why the gospel was so important? when Jesus comes and set free us, all of us from the law of sin and death. And when Paul says in Galatians, those of us who are in Christ now, there is not Jew and there's not Gentile. There's not male or female. Do you understand how radical that would have been? He wasn't saying that gender doesn't matter anymore. God created you on purpose, by the way, with the gender you have because he wanted to do that. It reflects his glory. So don't get lost in that. But what he's saying is we all approach the cross the same way. It's all level. It's not, I'm so glad I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, glad I'm a man and not a woman, or I'm glad I'm a woman and not a man, or I'm glad I'm this uh, denomination and not that denomination, or I'm glad that I'm of this race and not that race. He says all of that fell away at the cross. It became unimportant because now there's only saved and lost. Saved and lost. So he says you need to remember that. You need to remember that. This was on display for Gentiles all the time who were even curious about worshiping the living God. If you went to the temple in Jerusalem, there was an, kind of an inner area where the men worshiped. There was another area where the women worshiped. And then far over here was a big wall with signs on it saying, if you're a Gentile and you come in, we're gonna kill you. This right here is where you worship. You get to kind of look over there. You're far away. He says, remember that. And then he says, and here's what you need to remember. There were five disadvantages to being a Gentile. Look back at verse 12. He says, first, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. So those five things become really important. He says, you were without Christ. Now, as far back as Abraham, we remember that God told Abraham, I'm gonna make this covenant with you and I'm going to bless you and I'm gonna give you descendants that will be impossible for you to number. Now, if you remember about Abraham, when God spoke to him, how many descendants did he have at the time? Zero. So that seems like a far-fetched thing, doesn't it? God, well, okay. I'll believe that, God, that you're gonna do it. And God told him, all of the nations will be blessed in you. They were talking about the coming of the Messiah. That's that great prophecy that God's gonna do a work through Messiah for all the nations. But the Gentiles didn't get that. They were lost in that. And in fact, the nation of Israel had kind of lost sight of that too because they'd forgotten that they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. So he says, you were without Christ. There was provision for us as Gentiles, but we didn't know it. That's exactly how the lost world operates today. There's provision for them in Christ to know God the Father, but they don't know. By the way, that's our job, isn't it, to tell them? That's our job. So then he says, you were excluded 
from Israel. Now, this is never more on display, I think, than when we understand this kind of coupled with the next thing where it says you were foreigners to the covenant. He says, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenant. Do you remember the book of Ruth? If you haven't read Ruth, can I encourage you, go read that this afternoon. It's really short. I think it's only four chapters. One of my favorite books in all of the Old Testament. I absolutely love it. Because it's the story of three ladies who really go through great loss. They experience an enormity of loss because they all lose their husbands. So there's Naomi who was married and her husband died and she had two sons and they both died. And it's the story of her and her daughter-in-laws. And Ruth features very prominently in this. And I love this book for a number of reasons. One is that, do you remember when Naomi comes back to town after they've lost everything and everybody goes, oh, it's Naomi, yay. And she basically says, I mean, go, go and read it, it's crazy. She basically says, don't call me that. God messed me over. Don't say that I'm Naomi. Call me bitter. What? Can you say that? Is it, are you allowed to, to, to just kind of speak freely before the Lord and say, I don't get it. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, and the word never chastises her for that. That's where she was. But God began moving because he wasn't done with his plans with Naomi and Ruth yet. So then there's Ruth in this famous passage of scripture. Sometimes it's used at weddings or whatnot, but it's really really kind of illustrative of what we're talking about here. Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, you, you just need to go back to your people. She's from Moab, said, go back there. And Ruth says, please don't ask me to leave or to stop following you because where you go, I wanna go. And she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now that to us sounds a little bit funny because we would almost think that what she would do is actually flip that and start with, your God will be my God and then your people will be my people. But she doesn't. She starts with your people will be my people because outside of the covenant people of Israel, you couldn't have a relationship with God. It, it wasn't there. It all came through the relationship with Israel. They had been given everything. In fact, I think it's Romans chapter nine where Paul says, here's all the things God gave to Israel. And now he's saying, here's all the disadvantages you had as a Gentile because you didn't have any of that. You were foreigners. You were outside of the covenant. He says, you were without hope. Boy, our world's without hope. And he says, you need to remember that. You were without hope too. You had no hope of eternity, no hope of a future, no hope that God was going to, to move in your life, no hope that God was hearing your prayers. There was no hope. There was nothing there for you. And he says, you were without God. Now that's funny, isn't it? Because what we know about that time period when he's writing, he's, he's writing to a city that has one of the largest temples to false God that there is. They're, they're idol worshipers. And maybe you've, you've seen this thing about the Roman pantheon, right? I mean, they were not short on false gods. They were worshiping false gods all the time. But he says, you were without the one true God. And he says that about us. William Hendrickson summarized it like this. They were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Man, that feels like you should cue the like, wah, wah, wah moment. It's downer, isn't it? Why would he tell us to remember that? Why would he say, you need to think back and remember where you were. This is different, isn't it? Than what he talks about. When we often think about remembering, a lot of us want to forget our past because we're embarrassed about how we used to live. We're embarrassed about a season of life, maybe that 
didn't honor the Lord. We're embarrassed about some of the things we said or did. And, and we often don't want to be reminded of those sins in the past, but that's not what he's saying to do. He's not saying live, live bound up in who you used to be. He's not saying, you know, you can't go forward because you were once this way. What he's saying is, no, you need to remember that. You need to look back at that because what that does is all of a sudden it makes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so much more real to you. And you know what it keeps you from doing? It keeps you from being the guy that stands there and says, dear Lord, thanks that you saved me. And I'm so glad I'm not like that guy or gal right there. Whew. Gives me empathy towards them to understand that's exactly where I was and moves my heart towards them. You know, one of the things that happens a lot of times is that if you don't remember where you started from, you don't remember your roots, you lose your, your way a little bit. I think about this oftentimes when I think about somebody who wins in an athletic achievement, you know, a, a national championship of some kind of thing. They were hungry to get there and they worked so hard to get there and then they win and they forget about how hungry they were to get there and they don't know why they can't get there again. It's because it's so hard. You, you forget when you get it. It's like getting an achievement or at work. Or, it's why you don't see many CEOs take a company all the way to the top and then do it again with another company. They were hungry over here, but once they got there, it's like, oh, I know how to do this. It's not a big deal. What they lost was the fire, the passion. They forgot. And he's saying to us as a church, don't forget where you came from. Because if you do, it starts to be about you. It starts to be about how great you are. It starts to be about the work that you did. And can, can we just go back and read this? Let's go back to verse four. But God, who's rich in mercy because of the love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. He's also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by, say it with me, grace through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It's God's gift, not of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now remember that. This is where you started. And I think it's such a contrast for us because he's given us all these blessings that were ours in chapter one. And he tells us these are all through grace. It didn't come because you figured it out or you were so smart or you had it. It, it came because God did it. And now he says, remember that. Remember where you were. You were walking in darkness. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ's death on the cross changed everything for us because those of us who were far away, we did not know the Lord. We did not know the covenants. We did not know about Christ. God brought us near. And many times today, what we're being told is something that is akin to this idea that everywhere you want to look, you'll find God and every path leads to God. But that is, is an incorrect statement. And if you hear a pastor say that after they've opened the Bible, you better run away because that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Listen to me. It's the blood of Jesus that brought us near. Not being faithful, not being a person who's religious. It's not that way. The road is narrow that gets us there because it runs through the cross. And what happened at the cross was the blood of Jesus 
brought us near. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced being so close to something, but still on the outside looking in, kind of like what we talked about with the Gentiles when they came to the temple. But imagine it like this. Imagine that you drove the three and a half hours to get over to Knoxville and you were wanting to watch a football game. You didn't have a ticket, but I mean, you can always get a ticket. You always scalp a ticket, but this year it's different because it's Alabama and they're playing their best and Tennessee's playing their best. And you get there and you can hear Rocky Top and you can hear the crowd, but you can't get in. He says, that's not what happened. Through Christ, you were ushered in, brought near. You're not on the outside looking in anymore. And he says, the way that this happened is through his blood. We, we try to kind of run away from that. And a lot of people are offended in their minds by the fact that Christ had to shed his blood for us. Let me tell you, don't be offended by glory in it. Praise the Lord for it. Because if you miss the fact that blood must have been shed for you to be saved, then you've missed salvation. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So in the Old Testament, they slaughtered animals, didn't they? And they did it for their sins. And the Bible says it covered their sins, but the blood of Christ cleanses us. What's the difference? I'm wearing a white shirt today. No stains, you know. Uh, don't have it covered up. But, you know, I have an undershirt on and I might have a little ketchup on it from my hot dog that I ate last week and I just didn't wash this shirt. And the clean shirt could cover, right, the, the undershirt. The clean shirt can cover it, but it's still not clean on the inside. After the first service, somebody stopped me and said, who puts ketchup on a hot dog? What are you, like five? And I was like, come on, man, leave me alone. I eat my hot dog how I want to. You eat yours how you want to. So if you were going to zing me with that one after the service, you're too late. I've already gotten that one. And the next time I have a hot dog, I'm going to put ketchup on it. But do you see the difference between cleansed and covering? Do you see it? See, when Jesus died on the cross, it's not just anymore that our sins are covered. It's that we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. We don't, we don't walk around kind of with the covering going like, man, I'm glad, but Lord, I, no, we've been brought near into relationship with the Lord. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that that happened for us. So when we read this passage of scripture, the reason that he's telling us to look back and remember is that he's telling us, you need to understand this so that you will all the more glory in your position in Christ Jesus, glory in being saved. Thank God for his grace. Thank him for his faithfulness, faithfulness to us. Thank him that he's brought us near. Now the question is, okay, so what? Well, I think there's a two so what's. I think that a lot of times, because we just, I guess, expect that this should have happened. You know, you've been a believer for a while. I think that God is a little bit short on receiving the glory that really is due him from us. And what I mean by that is like, you know, did you wake up this week kind of in awe of the glory of God and praising him for how incredible the work of salvation has been in your life. I mean, you know, it's one thing for us to kind of go through the motions. We come here, we sing, we leave, don't think about it till next week. But you know, it's a little bit like, I think when you go see the Grand Canyon, if you've never been, I hope you get to, that's kind of one of the cool things that you could go see in the United States because the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, I mean, I understood it was a deep ditch, you know? I got that. 
But when you step out there and you realize the vastness of it and the side canyons that feed it and this massiveness that it is, it, it absolutely makes you go, wow. And I think a lot of times we don't have that feeling anymore towards the Lord that causes us to praise him for that moment where we just say, wow. And so the apostle says, look back and remember that because God needs a wow out of you once in a while. God needs you to still be in awe of his greatness, not to just think you deserve it because you don't, I don't, but where we would sit back and say, Lord, I remember where you found me. Thank you for that. Not that I'm hung up over here and who I used to be. That's not it at all because who I was is not who I am. That, that, that's bad thinking if it's like, well, I can never be used by God because of what I've done or any of that. No, that, that's, that's improper. When we're in Christ, we're new. But he says, think back to who you were and when Christ found you and just give the Lord a hallelujah this morning that says, it is good to be in your house. It's good to praise you with all my heart. I'm not just bringing in this second leftover stuff to you. I'm really in awe of the fact that you moved and in my life, you saved me. I think the second thing it helps us to do is remember something that's easy for us to forget and that's our mission. When you remember how you were, it gives you empathy for how people are without Christ. Instead of being judgmental about it, you want to move towards them so that you can show them the wonders and the riches of following Jesus Christ. It means gospel engagements become important. See, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, and they'd lost that. They were just proud of who they were. It was just good to be them. Well, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm, I'm glad I've got what I need, but I mean, what about everybody else? You know, our mission is for the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come to be with the well. I came for those who were sick, hurting, hopeless, without Christ, excluded from Israel, foreigners to the covenant, pessimistic, and without God. That's who he came for. That's why our gospel engagements are so important. I really believe that the coming days in this season of our lives are going to define this church. I really do. We have a city that is growing exponentially every day in lostness. They revel in it. They love it. And we know that the problems that are ailing our country right now are not going to be fixed with a law or policy, or whatever you want to apply to it. It won't be an economic solution or an educational solution. It's a heart solution. And so if you're concerned about your country, turn the TV off and find a way to pray, praising God for his glory, and find a way to pray about how you're going to engage the lost. Because they're far away. You know, that's why lost people act like they do, because they're lost. And we have the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring them near. They don't have to stand outside the stadium anymore just listening, hoping they can get a ticket to get in. Jesus punched that ticket a long time ago. They just need to receive it. It's theirs in Christ Jesus. I've been speaking to the church this morning, but I'm gonna just take a second and say this. I say it every week. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I want to urge you this morning to give your life to Christ. My hope today would be that you would be saved. 
that you would recognize there's a Savior who has loved you with an everlasting love. And if you have questions about that, after we pray in just a moment, when we're done with the service, I always sit right here. I'd love to talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ, be forgiven and set free from the law of sin and death. Father, we thank you today and we praise you in your glorious grace for the wonders of your love. We praise you, Father, that you knew exactly who we were. You sent Jesus to die anyway. And Father, when we were far away, you moved towards us. Thank you that you're still doing that. Thank you that you've leveled the playing field, Lord, and that all the things that the world wants to to set up that would divide us, Lord, don't matter anymore because in Christ we are one. Father, our prayer today is that you would heal our land with the gospel. Father, that you would work revival in the hearts of your church and that you would pour out your spirit on us that we might be bold in witnessing, Lord. That we might see a revival of hearts being turned to you. God, we pray that as we leave here on mission today, you would move in such a way in our lives that the world would see us as your workmanship and the good works we do would glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.